passage, Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. <clears throat> we know this one well. And I'm going to share a very simple thought with you tonight that is literally hot off the presses. Uh, just felt led to go here about an hour and a half ago. And uh, you never know what that means. I'm not even going to uh, hint at what that might mean, but uh, this is a fairly quick uh, message the Lord's given us this afternoon. While you're turning there, I want to remind you uh, we have camp coming up in what about two weeks, Brother John? Two weeks? Camp's coming up, and uh, there's always plenty of work to do down there at the camp. Matter of fact, I asked my dad uh, to get me a list of a lot of the things that need to be done. There's some fences that need putting back up from the tornado, some trees that are down, some plumbing work that needs to be done, some roofing work that needs to be done. And I asked dad, I said, do you mind if I mention that tonight? And I'm sure there's some folks out here who know how to swing a hammer, cut down a tree, put up a fence, or at least encourage other people while they work. Amen? It never hurts just to have somebody there clapping, cheering you on while somebody else is working. Uh, but we've got two weeks before camp is, arrives, and they need a lot of help uh, to get things going. Mom and dad are like Superman, Superwoman. They'll get it done one way or the other, uh, but they sure could use some help. And if you don't mind, I'd appreciate any of you might have some spare time and want to go down and work at the camp. You see my dad back there in the back. Now, understand this. My dad knows how to work, uh, and he will work you, okay? He's going to put you to work if you volunteer, so uh, enter at your own risk on that. And I do believe Brother Nate mentioned it this morning. He asked me to kind of give it a little bit of a bump of encouragement tonight. Our Father's Day service, we're going to do something very, very different. We are having Sneaker Sunday. Now, that goes right along with the message, so there's a reason behind it. Uh, and this is for all of our men, okay? I want to honor all of our men on that morning, whether you're a dad or not. And uh, I want to encourage you, look, we don't normally get to do this, okay? Uh, you get to wear your sneakers with your suit or your slacks. Some of you may do that already. And I want to encourage you to look this is your chance to shine brother Nate's been sitting on those nice Jordans for a long time just itching for a reason to wear them to church uh, but brother Heath and I brother John we've held him down told him no he cannot do that well here's his opportunity and this is your opportunity matter of fact it's given me an opportunity to buy a new pair of sneakers and I'm excited about it so you be sure to wear them this is your one chance to get to show that you have some style amen so Father's Day don't forget his sneaker Sunday and we'll have a special gift for all of the men here in the service that day Hebrews chapter 12 verse number Number one, we know it well, and uh, we're going to read verse one, two, and three, try to be an encouragement to you tonight. Uh, don't have a lot by way of outline. The Lord just give us this burden this afternoon, but I'll share with you what he shared with me, and uh, then we're going to let you go. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you tonight for the privilege to come back to church. Thank you for holding off the rain that we could get inside without getting too wet. Thank you, Father, for providing, Lord, the place, Lord, that we could come and worship in a country where we're still allowed to be able to do that. And, Lord, I pray tonight as we come before you that, Lord, you'll take your word, your quick, living, and powerful word. And, Lord, I pray you'd send it to each and every heart that's here. Help us receive it and allow it to accomplish in our lives what you've sent it to do. Now, Father, I pray that through all that's said and done, you'd be glorified and help us respond, Lord, to your will during the invitation, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. 
this afternoon I was praying about what the Lord have us to preach, and I was looking at a few thoughts we've been working on, and the Lord led us in a different direction tonight uh, on something my heart's been burdened about, and it's probably one of the greatest needs I think that, that all of us have, not just in your Christian life, but I think probably in all of our, our normal day-to-day all-American lives, and that's the need of motivation. Uh, I think as a pastor, one of the most difficult things or the most burdensome things is trying to do your best to motivate people uh, to not only accept the will of God, but to fulfill the will of God in their life. And we're always searching for ways we might encourage people to do just that, uh, because oftentimes in life, our motivation is a lot like one of those heart monitors. I think all of us have either seen one or maybe you've been hooked up to one before, and that thing is constantly going up and down, beep, 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 beep. And a lot of times that's the pattern that our motivation follows, doesn't it? Uh, We'll come to church one Sunday, our heart will get blessed and encouraged by the message or by the singing, and we'll go out, we're going to charge hell with a squirt pistol, and we're excited about doing the will of God, and it doesn't take too terribly long for the world to do what the world does, uh, to rob us of our motivation, to rob us of our boldness, to rob us of our courage, and then we barely drag ourselves back in just a week later. Why? We've lost our motivation. Now, oftentimes, the reason we lose our our motivation is because of external influences in our life. We live in a world that wants to pull that away from us, to take our joy, to take our peace uh, through the external experiences of the life that we're going through the last 12 months. It's easy to lose our motivation. Now, that's why it's important tonight to make sure that your motivation is coming from something that's not going to change. Oftentimes, the reason we lose our motivation is because we're motivated by our emotions, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, listen, I'm not against emotions. I have emotions from time to time. I'll cry a tear over a movie. Uh, from time to time, I'll do something sweet for my wife. Uh, I'll be a little bit romantic. Why? There's nothing wrong with emotions. God gave us emotions. But you've got to be careful letting your emotions be the sole source of your motivation. Because sometimes, just to be honest, we don't feel like it, do we? That's our emotions. There's sometimes I don't feel like reading my Bible. Believe it or not, you might fire me for this. Sometimes I don't feel like coming to church. My motivations go up and down and they fluctuate. Why? Because oftentimes we based our motivation on what's going on around us in life. And look, if you base your motivation on what you do in the will and the work of God based on how you feel and what's going on around you, you'll never have any spiritual consistency in your life. Oftentimes, we are motivated merely by convenience. I'm motivated to serve God, to live for God, be bold for God, as long as it's convenient. I'll be honest with you, I'm guilty of that. It's easy to be motivated in here. It's easy to be motivated when we're back in a staff meeting, just us in there, looking at the work that the Lord would have us to do here at Central Baptist Church. It's easy to be motivated in there, but all of a sudden, sometimes, you get around people that are not as motivated as you are, and it's not as convenient to be motivated for the cause of Christ. And what happens? We get less motivated. Why? Because we were motivated by convenience. It's like the story of the old man is walking down the beach one day. And he noticed there was this something gold and shiny sticking out from the sand, and he dug it up. Lo and behold, it was the, the genie's lantern. He took it out and thought to himself, said, you know, maybe, you never know. And so he dusted it off, dusted the sand off, shook the sand out. Sure enough, that last bit of sand came out. Here comes the genie, pops out. The genie says, you freed me from my lamp, and I want to grant you one wish. You know, the economy and all, they've cut back on that. Gas prices are up, so they cut back from three to one. Jesus says, I'm going to give you one wish. What would you like? He says, well, my brother and I have been spatting for 20 years, and I feel really bad about that. He says, I wish that my brother would forgive me. The genie's heart was touched. Jeannie says, 
You know, usually people wish for gold or silver or power, and you wish that your brother would forgive you. He says, could I ask you a question? The genie says, are you old and dying or something? He says, no, I'm feeling fine, but my brother is, and he's worth about 60 million. And so he wanted to make sure his relationship was right with his brother. Watch, he was motivated to do the right thing. Why? Because it was convenient. His brother was old and dying, and he wanted to get in on that inheritance. Now, to be honest, that's a funny story, but we're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of wanting to serve God, be motivated for God, be courageous and bold for God when it's convenient. And look, there's nothing wrong with serving God when it's convenient, but don't just serve God when it's convenient. You've got to have something that's going to motivate you when serving God is inconvenient. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 shows us that and gives us a consistent motivation. Now, you look at verse number one. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight... And the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Can I tell you, to fulfill verse number one, motivation is going to be required. To do what verse number one gives us to do as a Christian, talking about a grocery list here, look what it says. Lay aside every weight and the sin. There are two different things there. We're not going to take the time to get into it because we could spend all night on that. He says, I want you to lay aside weights and sins. You've got to be motivated to do that. Keep reading. Let us run with patience. Oh, there's that P word. Patience. I don't have it. It's a natural thing that I have to overcome supernaturally. We won't go into that either. But to lay aside, I'd be a hypocrite to preach on patience, to be honest with you. But notice it says, with patience, the race that is set before us. All of those things are going to require motivation. But here's what's interesting. You read verse number two and you read verse number three and both of those verses give us the perfect motivation to accomplish what's in verse number one. Isn't it wonderful that God tells us what to do then tells us how to do it? Notice, if you will, verse two, and I'll give you the title, looking unto what? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider who? Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, here's what the Bible's telling us. This is what God wants us to understand. Is the life of a Christian a tall order? Absolutely. I mean, verse number one, you will spend your entire Christian life trying to fulfill and refulfill what verse number one says. He says, so verse number two and verse number three give you your motivation, and our motivation is simply Christ. Verse number two and verse number three show us how to have a Christ-centered course, and that's what we're going to preach on for the next few minutes, having a Christ-centered course. You know, if Christ is your reason, you're always going to have a reason. If Christ is your motivation, if Christ is your motivation, watch this, for laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, you'll always have a good reason to lay aside every weight and every sin. If Christ is the reason that you run your race with patience, the race that is set before you, can I tell you, you'll always have a reason to run your race. That's why he takes two verses to explain how to maintain a Christ-centered course. There's three ways I want to show you Christ will be a, the center of your course and help you to stay on course. Very simple thought tonight. Let's jump into it if we could. Notice verse 2. 
The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, notice the wording here. He says, looking unto Jesus. He's trying to get us to focus our attention on Christ. Now, why is this important? Because, number one, notice this, Christ is the objective of our course. If you're going to run a Christ-centered course, Christ must be the objective of your course. Now, verse number one shows us all the work, and verse number three shows us the temptation. Verse one shows us the work. Verse three, the Bible says, lest ye be wearied. You know what work does? The work of verse number one will produce the physical, natural outcome of verse number three. Verse number three says, lay aside the weight, the sin, and run with patience. What does running make us do? Verse 3 says, lest ye be wearied. Do you know the only way you're going to work and not be wearied is to make sure you have the right objective? What is an objective? It's what you're working toward and what you're working to. I remember as a kid, now, I'm only 41. I'm not old at all. But I did get in on the tail end of cashing in the bottles to get 10 cents, all right? I know some of you folks that are way older than I am and can tell me a lot more about that, but I did get in on that as a kid. And there was a store in Carson where we grew up, Hathorne's Grocery, right there in Carson. It's out of business now. And uh, we'd walk to the store. It was safe back then. Now that scared me to death to let my kid walk, uh, walk up and down the road like that. But it was safe. We used to walk to town, and on the way to Carson, to Hathorne's Grocery, we would walk along the edge of the ditches looking for those Barks root beer bottles. And uh, we would get down in those ditches, and some of those bottles would have rainwater in them, dirt down in them. Some of them, the guys used them for a spit cup before they threw them out their window. And oh man, you just look at it, it's all nasty. Some of it had those little, you know, mosquito larvae floating up around in there. It was just nasty. And you're sitting out there pouring them out. And look, first one to spot it, got it. All right? We had two or three of us guys walking up and down. One would take one ditch, one would take the other. Trying to, you had to get five plus one. Okay? Five would cover the new drink, but you had to get plus one to cover the tax, or at least that's what they told us. That may have just been their way of getting a free bottle. So we needed six bottles. So for three of us, we had to get 18 bottles in order for all of us to get a nice cold Barks root beer. They had the slide top coolers. You remember those? And it just seems like they were so cold down in there. And so we'd walk up and down that ditch, down in the mud, down in the poison ivy. I never got poison ivy. Sometimes they did. Trying to find those bottles. Then we'd take them home. They wouldn't take them dirty. They wouldn't take them dirty. So we had to take them home. We're trying to flush them out. Some of them had roots growing down in there. You know, it was just some nasty, nasty work. You're thinking, why would you go through all of that trouble? Well, it's because our objective. Our objective was a nice, cold Barks root beer. And look, I didn't mind digging through the mud. I didn't mind walking through the ditch. I didn't mind walking near about a mile all the way to church. Why? Because on the other end of all of that work, I didn't get wearied. Why? Because on the other end, there was a wonderful objective, and the objective was a nice cold root beer. Now, can I tell you what's sad? Oftentimes as a Christian, I do less work, less labor in the matters of the things of God. I work less to obtain something more, something eternal, and something lasting. Now, folks, can I tell you tonight, if you're going to run and keep your motivation, verse 1 covers the work, verse 3 covers the weariness, verse number 2 shows us how to maintain our motivation. Christ has got to be the objective of your course. 
Christ has got to be what you're working toward. If you will tonight, turn back to your left with me to Philippians chapter number 2. I want to show you something. Philippians chapter number 2 and look down about verse 5, I believe we're going to look at. Or look at verse 1. Philippians chapter 2. No, yeah, let's go to verse 5. I told you this is hot off the presses, so stick with me. Philippians chapter 2. I was in Ephesians. It doesn't read the same when you're not in the same book. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. There we go. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now watch this. The Apostle Paul is one you will find, you're you're never going to find where the Apostle Paul didn't seem motivated. Even in prison, the Apostle Paul was motivated. When When Paul and Silas was there in prison, they were singing praises. He never lost his motivation. Now, let me show you where it began. The Apostle Paul in verse 5 says, the secret to all of this is let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, it begins in our mind, all right? Christ has got to be the objective. The mind of Christ has got to be our objective. Now turn over one more chapter, chapter 3, verse number 7. Paul says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss, what? For Christ. Paul says, I had the mind of Christ. What motivated Paul? It was the mind of Christ. And watch what having the mind of Christ motivated him to do. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Christ. What was Paul's objective? Why did Paul, I mean, Paul just seems super caffeinated. Don't, you ever get around those people? Brother AJ's one of those guys. He is super caffeinated. I don't know what he drinks all the time. I'm sure it's legal and I'm sure it's godly, but man, he's caffeinated all the time. I mean, energetic. Look, if my power ever goes out, I'm going to get one of those giant hamster wheels in my backyard and invite Brother AJ over to visit all the time just to get me some power. He's a motivated guy. The Apostle Paul was a caffeinated Christian. He was always motivated. Why? He had the mind of Christ. And notice what he did, the things he left behind, he did for Christ. Watch this, verse number 8 of Philippians 3. He one-ups, verse 7. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge, what? Of Christ, Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may what? Win Christ. Can you read between the lines and see that the great motivator for Paul, Paul was not trying to get a title on a door. The apostle Paul was not trying to get a claim in the world. The objective behind the apostle Paul's great motivation was simply one thing, Christ And look, if Christ is your motivation, you will always have a reason to be motivated. Why? Because Christ is going nowhere. He's always there. Listen, I know, listen, we try to encourage our young people. I try to encourage our young people. I really do. I love them, and I want them to turn out for Christ. And we try to say, you know what? If you do this, I'll give you this. Nothing wrong with a little incentive from time to time. But I'll tell you, the greatest thing we could ever do for these young people, glad to see all of you up here on the front. The greatest thing we could do for these young people is to teach them to be motivated by the objective of Christ. If Christ is their why, if Christ is why they do what they do and why they live the way that they live, can I tell you, they'll always have a reason to be motivated to maintain that in their life. Christ is enough for them. But I'll tell you, oftentimes the reason Christ is not enough for them is because Christ is not enough for mom and dad. 
We cannot live, do as I say, not as I do. Mom and Dad, if Christ is enough for you, there's a good chance he'll be enough for your kids. Uh, listen, I don't want to lift my family up tonight because Paul said this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am and we are what we are. But look, I watched my grandparents serve God and they did it for Christ. I watched my grandmother just walk away from a three-story home that rotted into the ground. Why? For Christ. She did it for Christ. I watched dad walk away from a multi-million dollar job and he did it for Christ. And I'm going to tell you, as a teenage boy, when the Holy Spirit of God tugged, tugged at my heart to surrender my life to answer the call to preach, can I tell you, I looked at grandma, I looked at mom and dad, and I said, okay, there must be something to this for Christ thing. Why? Because I watched what they gave up. Paul says, yea, doubtless, I count for Christ all things but loss. For Christ. Now listen, mom and dad, if you want your child to serve God simply because of Christ, why don't you show them how to do that? All right? Number one, the Bible shows us Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, there's the work. Verse 3, there's the weary. In the middle, we see the motivation. The motivation is Christ. Luke chapter 8, we read the story of the lady who had the issue of blood for 12 years. The Bible says that she needed a remedy. And she knew the only remedy was going to be what? Christ. The Bible says that she fought her way through the press. I've told you this before. I just picture a little lady, probably about maybe five foot three. You know how your brain just kind of conjures up pictures? Some of you have passed that place, haven't you? I see you're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Oh, listen, Lord, come back before I lose my imagination. I really do. I picture this little lady. I see her lowering her shoulder and just plowing through the crowd like a linebacker. Why was she doing all that? What was motivating her? Christ. I've got to get to Christ. Why did, why did Zacchaeus climb the tree? Christ. What got Peter out of the boat to walk on the water? It was Christ. The Bible says that he got out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Christ. Look, you'd be amazed at what you could do if Christ was your motivation. you get out of the boat too. Listen, you could defy. You know when Peter got out of that boat, he was defying everything. He defied logic. He was even defying the storm that was there. He was defying, I'm sure, the doubtful thoughts of the other ones in the boat. There's always others that are ready to doubt when you try to step out of the boat for Christ. He defied every bit of that. Why? Because his objective was Christ. I wonder what we could do tonight if the objective of our course was simply Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, one of my favorite verses, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, it's the love of Christ that constraineth me. That word constraineth means establishes my boundaries. The love of Christ. I believe that verse can go both ways. Christ's love for me and my love for him. If I love Christ like I should love Christ, it's going to establish the boundaries of my life. I can't go there. Why? The love of Christ constraineth or restraineth me. Oh, if we just love, that's why he said, if we love him, who? Christ. If we love Christ like we're supposed to love him, oh, can I tell you, you'll live like you're supposed to live. Yesterday we had, uh, I hate to bring up a sore subject for Brother John Lapone, but yesterday we had the wedding for his daughter here. Man, the older my daughter gets, standing back here on the platform asking who gives that bride away, Ooh, I almost cry a few tears myself. Yesterday we went through the vows for the rings, and I always say something along the line of, you know, this ring doesn't make you merry, but it's a symbol. And you wear it proudly. 
Why? Because you want everybody to know that, hey, I love somebody and somebody loves me. You know, I don't mind wearing this thing. I don't mind at all. Why? Because I love her. Look, I don't take it off and hide it. I'm so thankful and proud, look, that she loves me. I mean, look, I mean, my soul, beautiful woman falls in love with you. I mean, hey, you ought to be proud of it. And when a Savior loves you, you ought to be proud of that. So proud that you publicly display it. You're not going to have a problem publicly displaying it if Christ is your objective. So number one, Christ is the objective of our course. What kept Job motivated? What kept Job motivated? I think verse 3 probably crept in on the heart of Job, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. You lose 10 children, lose all of your property. I think you're tempted to be wearied. What kept Job going? Job says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. His objective. They said, Job, you've lost everything. Why don't you just quit? He says, because my motivation is still there. Now, folks, look, this is where it's important. Mom and Dad, you put Christ first in your home. If Christ is first, no matter what happens around you, you'll keep going. Job's motivation wasn't his children. Hear me that. Hear me out. Be careful putting your children as your objective and not Christ. If Christ is your objective, look, you're always going to have a reason to be faithful to God. And the greatest thing you could do for your children is to put them behind Christ. You put Christ first. And you watch how your children will benefit from that. One more thing, the Apostle Paul told Timothy. The Apostle Paul's trying to train him up before he has his head chopped off. And he says, no man that warreth entangleth himself of the affairs of this life. He says, hey, he says, hey, you don't go out there and get entangled up in this stuff. You can't serve God when you're tangled up in this world. That's why it says, come out from among them and be ye separate. Don't get tangled up in that stuff again. It's hard to serve God when you're tangled up. What was the motivation not to get entangled? Paul told Timothy that he may please him who hath called him to be a soldier. If you'll keep your objective on the one that's called you, you're not going to go get tangled up. Why? Because your objective is on the one who's called you to be a soldier. That is the objective of your course. But number two, look down at verse three again. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary, verse number three, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Now there's the temptation in verse number three, to be wearied and faint in our minds. So how do we keep from doing that? Well, the first part says looking unto Jesus. There's Christ as our objective of our course. It says the author and finisher of our faith. You know what I love about that? That means he was there at the beginning, the alpha, he's there at the end, he's the omega, and he's there every bit of the way in between. Now watch this. The Bible says who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says Christ is the reference point that we look to. As a matter of fact, turn back to your left, just a few pages, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 18. Watch this. The Bible says, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now, what's the Bible saying here? Christ, watch this, he doesn't just tell us what to do. Christ left the splendors of heaven to come down here on this earth and to live the life in this stuff to show us how we should follow in his steps. Aren't you glad 
that Christ just didn't say, this is what I want you to do. He says, watch, I'm going to show you how to do it. So not only is Christ the objective to our course, number two, notice, Christ is the example of our course. Christ is the example of our course. <clears throat> you know, a pattern is important when you're trying to produce something, isn't it? Think about that. If you're building a house, you have a blueprint. You know what a blueprint is? It's a pattern. You have a pattern. Look, if you have a pattern, you stand a fair chance that you might have a good product. But if you just kind of go as you, you know, on the fly and live on the fly and build on the fly, it may not turn out like it's supposed to. So you need a blueprint or a pattern. Think about you ladies or maybe even some of you men that cook. You have a recipe, don't you? Most of the time. Some of you are just natural cooks and you don't need a recipe. I need a recipe all the time. A recipe is a pattern. My wife's done a little bit of sewing. Miley's done a little bit of sewing. And they'll sit there and they'll put out a pattern on the cloth. And they'll just trace it out and they'll start cutting it out. You know what it is? They're trying to produce something. Therefore, they have a pattern. Now, you know what Christ serves as? A living, breathing pattern on how we should stay motivated. Do you know why? Because he was always motivated. Christ serves as the example that we should follow. We have a human being, someone who put on this stuff and came down and showed us how it was done. Isn't it wonderful that the love of God was so much that he didn't just speak to us from heaven. The Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Not only as our Savior, but after we get saved as our example that we should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2.21, the Bible says Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. The Bible says we should follow in his steps. Christ even gave us an example of how to suffer. Let me tell you what's so wonderful about that. If you'll start in the Gospels, all right, that's where the red letters are, in case you haven't been there in a while. You start there in the Gospels, you can see so many experiences that Christ went through, all right? And he went through them victoriously, I'm glad to report. And he left us, watch this, he left us a record on how we can be victorious when we have those same experiences. You say, well, how do you know? Well, go back to right after he was baptized. What happened? He was led of the Spirit where? Into the wilderness. You ever feel like you're in a wilderness? Hey, go back to Matthew. Christ went to a wilderness. What happened in the wilderness? He was tempted. You ever get tempted? You know what temptation is? It's hard. It's work. You know what temptation is, tempts you to do? Verse 3, to be wearied and faint in your minds. Temptation will wear you down. Say, man, I wish I knew how to get through temptation. Oh, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We have an example what did Jesus do? Three times he quoted scripture to defeat the devil. Seems like it might be a good idea to learn a few verses, huh? Look, Christ is the example for our course. If he's our objective that we're working for, he's our example that we're looking to. Look, there's nothing that you will go through or experience in life as a human being and as a Christian that Christ did not experience and overcome victoriously for us. And he left us an example to follow. One of the biggest things that I have seen lately that has really zapped people's motivation is tragedy. But we've had a lot of tragedies in our church this year, uh, just in 2021. And then even outside of our church, families and friends, I mean, uh, deaths and sicknesses, a lot of grievous things happen amongst our church family. If you're not careful, tragedies will have a way of robbing you of your motivation. I, I, I freely confess to you that in January when we buried 
our sixth member in six weeks. I just went back to my office and cried. I didn't feel like being motivated. I didn't feel like preaching. What was happening? Verse 3, I was wearied and faint in my mind. And then lo and behold in Scripture, I find out where Jesus lost a friend. Lazarus. I went back and followed in the steps of what Jesus did. Now, I couldn't go raise my friends from the dead. But I could understand that my Savior experienced Jesus what? Wept. He went through tragedy. He went through temptation. And you know what he left me? He left me an example. Another thing I find that sidetracks and derails people is betrayal. Betrayal. We're all going to get betrayed at some point in our life. Somebody's going to talk about us behind our back. It's all going to happen to all of us, and the odds are we're all going to do it to someone else if we're honest. And nobody likes being betrayed. And all of a sudden, somebody in church betrays us, betrays our trust, and we get our feelings hurt. What is our temptation? Verse 3, to be wearied and faint in our minds. Forget this. I don't want nothing to do with those church people. And you lose your motivation, and yet we know very well that Christ understands what it's like to be betrayed, doesn't he? And yet Christ continued on to the cross and fulfilled the will of his Father. We could go on persecution. Persecution will take away your motivation. And yet Christ left us an example of how to maintain our motivation even in times of persecution. Now, this is where it's important. It's very easy for us as humans, not just as Christians, but as humans, to be followers of men. It is. Look, there's nothing wrong with having heroes. I have heroes. You go back to my office, I have book after book after book. A lot of them are signed by, by those men. They're heroes of mine that I look to. They're great examples. But I'll tell you this, be careful at making your primary example man. Let me give you a little bit better advice. It's important to make sure that who you're following cannot fall. Make sure who your objective and your example is. Why? Because Christ is never going to let you down. Can I tell you tonight, I'll let you down. I've probably let at least half of you down. I'm sorry. It happens. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, but you better make sure that who you're following is following Christ. The best thing you can do is make sure you're following Christ. If you're following Christ and he's the example for the course that you're running, you're never going to lose your motivation. Now, here's what's interesting about verse 2, and I'll give you the last thing. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? Endured. Interesting. You know what the word endured basically means? Stayed motivated. He stayed motivated. He endured. He just kept going. He kept his motivation. Do you know what his motivation was? Watch this. It was you and I. Kind of interesting, isn't it? His motivation was us. Listen, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we read about it this morning, when he was exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Do you know what his motivation was? It was us. It was us. He said, I don't want them to die and go to hell. It was us. That's what kept him going. And watch how neat this works out. Do you know what our motivation is that keeps us going? It's him. It's him. Why? He left us an example that we could follow and stay motivated. I like Acts chapter 5. The apostles were arrested. They were persecuted. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5, when they let them go, you know what they did? They rejoiced. Why? Because they were counted worthy to suffer persecution for Christ. I mean, 
whips across their back, persecution, threats to their life, and yet they sang praises. Why? Because they had a good example. They said, hey, we're doing what he did. Hey, there's nothing like knowing you're following in the footsteps of Christ. I remember as a kid, I want to do everything my dad did. I even wanted to smell like my dad. You know, dad would come in from work, we'd give him a hug, and there's that man musk, all right? Appreciate it. I don't know that too many of our men have that much anymore because it requires perspiration and effort. But anyway, not going to go there. I believe our young men do. I really do. I'm thankful for these guys. I believe they know how to work. I want to be just like my dad. I wanted to look like him, smell like him, have the same kind of boots, same kind of belt. I remember my dad had a belt, the one he used to spank me with. I uh, had his name on the back of it, you know. And uh, when I got old enough, you know, I was, had my own big leather belt. We went to that Western store there on Highway 98 in Columbia. He used to sell boots. And I got me a belt with my name put on it. And I look forward to the day that I could pull it out and just send chills down people's spines. <laughs> Like his used to do mine. Want to be just like, man, it made me feel good, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Smelling like him now. And oh, how there is such spiritual fulfillment when you know that you're following in the footsteps of Christ, even if you're being persecuted. Why? Because Christ is the example of your course. You see why it's so important to have a Christ-centered course? Christ needs to be the objective He needs to be the example, and the last thing is very simple. Verse 3 says this, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Now here's what the Bible's telling us. Remember him and what he went through. I promise you what Christ went through, what we read about this morning, look, is off the charts in comparison to anything we will ever go through. But the Bible says, I want you to consider him. God says, remember him, and you'll realize suddenly you have no reason to quit. If Christ went through what Christ went through, and he didn't quit, watch what that does. It gives me the courage, you know what, that I'm not going to quit either. If Christ blazed the trail as my objective and as my example, number three, Christ is the encouragement for our course. If you have a Christ-centered course, he's your objective, he's your example, but he's also your encouragement. Why? Because you're going to be tempted, verse number three, to be wearied and faint in your minds. Woe is me. I know none of you here have pity parties because you're good Christians. But boy, I do. (laughs) You ask my wife, I can have a good one. I usually go silent. Anybody else do that? My feelings have been hurt. I've been wronged. And I'm just going to be quiet until finally my wife says, what's the matter? Depending upon the severity of the crime and the offense, I might have one or even two nothings. Nothings. Just have an old pity party. Why? Because woe is me, I've been wronged, and I'm wearied and fainted my mind because somebody has hurt my feelings. But watch this. If Christ is your objective and Christ is your example, then Christ will also serve as your encouragement to keep going because you've never gone through anything like he did and he just kept on going anyway. We were down at Smite last Sunday night uh, for Doc Peters' uh, memorial tribute. And um, I think it was on Sunday night, Nick Anthony preached. Nick's a young man, come to camp many times. Ready a young man, come to camp many times. And good guy and uh, got married, a youth pastor, had a kid, had another kid. And his wife was expecting for their, their third child. And all of a sudden, uh, started having complications immediately following the birth. And they had to rush to the hospital. And... Um, 
she's on life support. We didn't think she was going to make it. And uh, matter of fact, he even came to a game uh, here uh, for our basketball and was here with his church and just crying. He says, you know, it's just not a whole lot of brain activity. And he just stuck by our side, stuck by our side. And throughout the entire time, he was preaching about the testimony of the dark valley they had gone through. And suddenly one day she woke up and uh, she's got a lot, a lot of therapy. She's learning how to walk and talk again. And here's Nick at home raising those three kids. One of them's a newborn. And, and then he says something that just brought me low. He says, but God has been so good. God has been so good. I was ready for him to give the invitation just about then, Brother Jim, because I have nothing to complain about. There have been times since last Sunday night where, you know, I feel like I'm having a rough day, tough day, full day. Thinking, like, you know what, man, this is rough. This ministry business is tough. And then all of a sudden I think about Nick Anthony. He just keeps on trucking. I was like, well, if Nick Anthony can keep going, then good grief, get up off the floor, talk to your wife, and be a man and get on about the will of God for your life. You see, it encourages me. Now, folks, can I tell you, as much as Nick has gone through, Christ endured so much more. Christ got up, fell down to the load of the cross. He got up. He just kept going and kept going. He endured. What does it say? Verse 3. He endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. And oh, he just kept going. If he could keep going, then guess what? Then we can keep going. You see, it encourages. Notice it says, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Anytime we feel about having a pity party and we're wearied and we want to faint, do you know what it's a good sign is? It's a good sign we've lost our objective. We've taken our eyes off of Christ, and we've put our eyes on self. If we'll keep Christ as our objective, Christ is our example, we'll find out that Christ will be our encouragement. So folks, let me tell you something tonight. You're going to need motivation in the days ahead. We've needed motivation over the last 12 months and counting. And if your motivation's on me or your motivation's on someone else or the economy or the virus or all of that, your motivation's going to do this. When you could remain motivated if you just had a Christ-centered course. Three questions. Is Christ your objective? What are you working toward? Don't work for me. So the preacher sees you or the staff sees you. No, no. Your objective needs to be Christ. You know, if you're working for me, I might miss seeing it. But the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. He's not going to miss it. If you're doing it for him, he saw it. Don't worry, he saw it. And you're never going to lose your reason not to serve him. Then let Christ be your example. As you serve, it's going to get difficult. You're going to be wearied and faint in your minds. Look to Christ. What did he do in temptation? What did he do in tragedy? What did he do in betrayal and persecution? What did he do? Let him be your example. And he'll always give you the cheat codes. Is that right, video game guys? Yeah? You didn't think I knew about that, did you? Cheat codes? Those actually been around since the 80s. He'll give you the cheat code on how to beat it. If he's your example, then lo and behold, let him be your encouragement. He didn't quit. And if he went through what he went through and didn't quit, we can go through whatever comes our way and not quit. Why? Because Christ is our encouragement. But you've got to have a Christ-centered course. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stop there. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed.